It's half a million Americans dead from the pandemic, a million still out of work and hungry. Conservatives have focused in on the biggest problem facing America. Cancel culture. Cancel culture. We understand it. We understand their cancel culture. We're not letting them cancel culture us at all. Do you have a functioning First Amendment when the cancel culture only allows one side to talk? We're witnessing the cancel culture purge being kicked into overdrive here. Cancel culture is a real thing. It is very real. This cancel culture is so dangerous and we have to push back. This is the number one issue for the country to address today. The number one issue for the country to address today. He said that like a week ago. The menace of cancel culture is so important, it's felt so intensely, that the whole theme of this year's conservative CPAC conference, the premier event for American conservatism, is America Uncancelled. Of course, the definition of cancel culture has always been really slippery. I mean, almost every workplace, organization, political party, or even conference of conservative activists has some lines about what kinds of speech it thinks are acceptable and what kinds just aren't. Mostly conservatives are mad that non-conservatives are drawing lines that they just don't agree with. You can probably see where this is going. How long do you think it took the America Uncanceled Conference to themselves cancel someone? This is just insanity. It ain't gonna stop. It's just coming at every level. The other one that I saw this morning is that Hasbro has announced that Mr. Potato Head won't be called Mr. Potato Head anymore. He'll just be Potato Head because uh, obviously that was offensive to somebody or he wasn't really a man or he is a man or being a man. You could take the mustache off and he's Mrs. Potato Head. I mean, did you watch Toy Story? There was Mr. Potato Head and Mrs. Potato Head. You can switch all their... Mr. Potato Head is going gender neutral. Yeah, the classic Hasbro toy, Mr. Potato Head and Mrs. Potato Head, will now be marketed under the broader gender neutral category of just Potato Head. The new playset will still have the male and female designations, but they will be featured less prominently. There's been quite a storm after some elements of their media reported Mr. Potato Head was being cancelled, with the Mr. being dropped from packaging. Well, Hasbro's confirmed, although it could be branded Potato Head, as you can see, you can still buy a Mr. or a Mrs. Potato Head. So don't panic. Brian Goldner is chairman and CEO of Hasbro and joins us now. Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head are not going anywhere. They're still a prominent part of the brand. Well, after the left decided to cancel the Muppets, well, Senator Tom Cotton had a thing or two to say about Disney. Well, Bill Maher, who is a card-carrying member of the left, is calling out the left because what's going on in our culture, cancel culture, woke culture, is out of control. Liberals need a stand-your-ground law for cancel culture. So that when the woke mob comes after you for some ridiculous offense, you'll stand your ground. Stop apologizing. Because I can't keep up anymore with who's on the list. Cancel culture is real, it's insane, and it's growing exponentially. And it's coming to a neighborhood near you. These books, these things they want to cancel, Dr. Seuss in particular, we love it because kids love it. And they're absolutely going.
going to ruin everything, these woke social justice warriors. The latest iteration yes. is you cannot exist. You must be canceled. You must go away. You cannot be part of employment or polite society if you disagree with our currently in vogue fashion. Can we throw that graphic up one more time? The graphic of all the people that have been canceled. That is a life deranging cancelable offense. Make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people. Oh, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, ex-Muslim host, Ina. Keeping it non-controversial. Hello, hello, and welcome to Polite Conversations, episode 62. If you enjoy the show, you can help support it at patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. I even have a special on right now where if you sign up, you get the added benefit of pissing off a Sam Harris fan. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Today, I have a very special guest. I'm so excited to talk to him. Michael Hobbs, journalist for the Huffington Post, and an amazing podcaster. You may know him from the You're Wrong About podcast or the Maintenance Phase podcast, and just one of my absolute favorite Twitter follows. Michael, how are you? I'm so happy to be here. This is, uh, you've been my company on long bike rides for the last like two months. I've been binging your show. Wow, that is such an honor, and you've been my company. So, you know, oh. like, yeah, because when when you tweeted to me, that's when I discovered your podcast. I'm so sad to say that I didn't know it before, but as soon as I mm. clicked on it, I was, like, binging. I was like, oh, my gosh, because oh, it's yeah? so nice to have something that's non-culture uh, war-related to listen to sometimes, yeah. you know? It's like I was, like, listening to all the Diana episodes and the... Mm. Um, I loved your recent Dr. Oz episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was good. Giving him the old Sam Harris treatment. <laughs> Just brutal. <laughs> yeah, so we both have parasocial relationships with each other. This is great. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Only disappointment awaits us. <laughs> <laughs> We're definitely on the same wavelength when it comes to criticizing <laughs> the centristy IDWS nonsense. So that's why I wanted to... Talk to you about cancel culture. Cancel culture. I'm obsessed. It's bad. What is cancel culture? What is oh, it? Man. I mean, I'm like my whole show is dedicated to moral panics of the past. And one of the hallmarks of moral panics is that they're not clearly defined. So, you know, terms like politically incorrect is just like a pejorative term that we have for like mm -hmm. things I don't like. Basically, like it's not clearly defined. And the cancel culture stuff is just such textbook moral panic, yeah. right? It, cancel culture is like this person getting fired, but it's not this other person getting fired. And it's this public figure getting criticized, but it's not the other public figure getting criticized. And we write 10 articles about this one thing and we write zero articles about this other thing. Like it's just very clear that it's just a term that people use to mean criticism that they do not like. Yeah, and it's so vague and so mm -hmm. inconsistently applied. The right stuff is never framed as cancel culture. Of course not. It's very selective, 
And, mm-hmm. you know, Barry Weiss is such a a great example of, like, a cancel culture hypocrite, right? Because pretty sure I've seen her um, tag someone's employer because they've used swear words or rude mm-hmm. language towards her. And, look, what is that? Is that not trying to get them fired or exactly. canceled? I think the thing to keep in mind, I feel like, is every single person on planet Earth has exactly the same opinion on cancel culture, which is that bad people should be canceled <laughs> and good people should not be canceled. That is everybody's opinion. It all comes down to what you think good and bad are. Nobody has like content neutral beliefs about like, it's okay to criticize this public figure, but not this other public figure. Like people do not have those. It's just people who get fired for doing bad stuff is fine. People who get fired for not doing bad stuff is not fine. That's it. That's the whole debate. That's right. And coming from the new atheist scene, embarrassed to say, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, they go on about the anti-SJW stuff a lot and cancel culture is the biggest bogeyman lately. But there was a time when they were arguing for deplatforming of, like, say, you know, Islamic conservatives. And I, I agreed with them because these people had some terrible views. Sure. So I was surprised to see when the conversation turned around, like, to Western conservatives, all their values and principles kind of just went out the window. Right. And then, of course, they come up with these principled reasons that, like, no, it's about the difference between outcome versus intention, or it's about social media mobs. Like, the whole project is to take it to this higher level of philosophy to make it seem like you're not just defending people on the basis of, eh, the thing they said wasn't that bad, which is really all we have. Like, that's the main reason that they don't want people to get quote unquote canceled. It's like what they said wasn't really anti-Semitic enough or like, yeah, it was transphobic, but like transphobia shouldn't get you fired. Mm -hmm. Like that's their actual belief, which is fine. I don't agree with it, Mm -hmm. but it would be much easier and faster for everyone if they would just say, yeah, transphobia is not a fireable offense rather than, oh, we can't go around looking for people's transphobic tweets or whatever. Like, just say what you actually mean. Yes, just be honest, for fuck's sake. Like, it's so exhausting, this whole game that they play. I think this week was the perfect example where we had this actress from The Mandalorian who some anti-Semitic, like, blatantly anti-Semitic images that she had shared come out and Disney decides this isn't worth it and we're going to remove her from The Mandalorian. And then... The left wing is like, yes, this is good. She was anti-Semitic. Anti-Semitism is bad. And then the right freaks out and they're like, oh, cancel culture. We're going through people's old tweets. And, you know, we can't look at people's intentions. And, you know, maybe she didn't know it was an anti-Semitic image. And all this just prevaricating. And then a week later, we have CPAC, one of its speakers, (laughs) says something like deeply anti-Semitic. And they fire this person for anti-Semitism. So it's like what we were talking about the whole time was does the anti-Semitism rise to the level where somebody should get fired? It's not about cancellation. Yeah, and that was... Ne- I, don't, I don't think I saw a single tweet calling it, aside from people just joking about the right or making fun of the right, calling it cancel culture when CPAC cancels someone, you right. know? Because when somebody gets canceled for good reasons, it's not a cancellation. Exactly. So, but then if people getting canceled for good reasons isn't a cancellation then why are we talking about cancel culture all the time? (laughs) That you don't actually have content-neutral beliefs on this. Right, and often if you look into these stories, right, they're not as simple as they're portrayed, like, among all the tweets. Like, oh, my God, this guy got 
fired for referring to the N-word and then you dig into it and actually, like, they say that on the surface you'll see tweets saying that he never said it or stuff mm-hmm. like that. But then you read up on the story and you're like, oh, no, he actually said it here. He said it here. Right. And so, yeah, whatever story they're talking about, if you just dig into it a bit deeper, it's not yeah. as simple or as absurd. Yeah, usually most of these things, they're like, this is completely crazy. And then you look into it and you're like, that's not that crazy. It's actually like pretty human and pretty normal. But like that just completely removes any justification for getting mad about it. So like they have to keep it as crazy as possible. Yeah. And it's interesting because even about the anti-Semitism thing, like Ilhan Omar was accused of anti-Semitism by a lot of the right. And what was it that she did? She, She tweeted some you know, shady sounding, like not so great sounding stuff. Yeah, she said it was all about the Benjamins. Which is like a lyric, right? Something, something. Yeah, it's a lyric from an old Puff Daddy song, yeah. Right. Um, And, you know, growing up in Saudi Arabia, I can tell you that at best you don't know anything about anti-Semitism. At worst, Mm -hmm. you are, you know, raised in it. But for me, like I actually had no education about anti-semitism or the dog whistles or the symbolism and things so i had to like learn this stuff by myself so mm-hmm. i will believe that someone may be naive or ignorant to the connotations of something mm-hmm. but then when they double down or triple down yes or, this is the thing yeah. yeah when they act like okay it can't possibly be offensive then i'm like okay then yeah. now you know what people are talking about and you're still doubling and tripling down. I do believe Ilhan even apologized. Yes, and she also received a lot of criticism from Democrats for that. Yes. Whereas when people do this on the right, like I didn't see anyone on the right criticizing Gina Carano for her like blatantly anti-Semitic images that she was tweeting out. I do actually acknowledge that sometimes this cancel culture stuff goes too far and sometimes there's criticism of public officials that's like overblown or disproportionate mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or whatever. But the lack of cancel culture is easily as big of a problem as too much cancel culture. Just like, look at we, Gab. Well, exactly. <laughs> or like, look at the NRA. Like, look at all of these institutions of the American right where the right refuses to hold them to account. And one of the reasons why the right is so full of grifters is that nobody does any call outs on the right. Like, why aren't people calling out Alex Jones for selling like weird boner pills or calling out Fox News for just lying about stuff constantly or selling advertisements for like gold bricks or whatever. Like the lack of cancel culture is a culture of impunity. And so that doesn't mean that every single call out is perfect, but it just means that like you should have internal accountability mechanisms and the lack of internal accountability is way more problematic than too much internal accountability. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Even with Ilhan Omar, we saw like Barry Weiss write about how she's anti-Semitic. There's like a big old picture of her. Sam Harris retweeted it. These are the people that are always like, you know, we shouldn't criticize anyone. And then even during the elections, when AOC said something like, we need to remember who the Trump enablers are mm-hmm. and document it before they start deleting. Sam Harris like mentioned on his podcast, like this is so, you know, wrong and we can't be doing that. And that's so unhelpful. And he completely misrepresented her tweet saying that she wanted like, I don't know, revenge or I don't know, for every single person who could have possibly ever yeah. have propped Trump up. But that's not at all what she was saying. And he himself ended the podcast saying that we, 
you know, something similar that we need to hold these people accountable. And it's like, <laughs> what the hell? Well, is it good or not? Yeah. yeah. It's good when he does it. Yeah. But it's bad when she does it because she's just hysterical, lefty SJW. He's yeah. this rational man saying the same things, but more rationally. I think it's actually a really important trope of this moral panic that one of the things that we hear so much about this whole cancel culture discourse is sort of that, you know, people, it's all this black and white thinking and it's too simplistic and it's boiling people down to one thing they've ever done and canceling them for it. But I think if you look at these actual cases, people are actually capable of a lot of nuance that there's been times where people have tweeted out something really bad and they've been called out on it and they're like, oops, sorry, I deleted it. And then everybody just kind of moves on. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not actually the case. Like, I do think that there are things to be concerned with, with quote unquote social media mob justice. Mm -hmm. And there have been like really bad things that have happened when random people get targeted by mm -hmm. Twitter mobs. But also, there's also been times when people have been targeted by Twitter mobs and have like very effectively uncanceled themselves. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just not as simplistic of an effect as every once in a while we go after people with pitchforks. It's mm -hmm. like, no, most of the people doing this are actually reasonably thinking and are capable of a lot more nuance than anybody gives them credit for. Yeah, and that was the whole thing with Me Too, too, right? That there was this whole line that even Sam Harris was going on about, like all the IDW guys were going on about how, like, you know, Me Too's gone too far. Sure, it's a good thing initially because it exposes real <laughs> predators, but where's the nuance? You know, we need to understand... Right. That's that was never a problem. Like people understand yeah, yeah, yeah. the difference between like a an ass grab and like full on rape. Yeah, that's the thing. I saw a lot of people writing angry takes against an argument that nobody was making. They're like, we can't put Louis C.K. in the same place as Harvey <laughs> Weinstein. What they did was different. And it's like, yes. Literally nobody thinks that what they did was exactly the same. Like they are in the same ballpark, but nobody is saying that they should have exactly the same consequences. Nobody is saying that what they did caused the same amount of harm. Like who are you actually arguing yeah. with? It's like five people on Twitter. Aside from random maybe yes. Twitter person with like five followers, there isn't like big agreement on this fact that, you know, someone thinks that the rape and ass grabbing is the exact same thing. Yeah, it turns out people are, like, pretty smart and, like, there's no point in debunking stuff that is just being said by random people because literally everything, every bad opinion that is conceivable is being put out right now on Twitter by somebody. <laughs> like, yeah, you for real. Somebody, yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can find somebody on Twitter right now saying, like, women shouldn't have the vote anymore. Oh, like, yeah. okay, that person is dumb, but, like, do I need to write a whole column debunking some random person? Like, no, it's just random people on the internet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then if you don't debunk it, they're like, oh, so I bet you had no good argument. And it's like, no, I don't need to debunk every stupid argument. <laughs> I've been owned by the anti-suffrage guy. Yeah, yeah. Lost in the open debate, free ideas. Dang well, it. Like, I come across <laughs> these people in the atheist scene, sadly, too often, you know? like Yeah. And this is the scene where I've talked to people for hours about the how we don't need to let like white nationalists self-identify as white nationalists before we mm. call them white nationalists or yeah. the difference between, you know, the subtle difference between calling someone a racist if they're not racist against all races versus racist against one or two types of people. 
That's and, a real thing. Like, I'm fine with black people, but I really hate the Kurds or something. Like, there's actually people that identify with this. Well, okay, so I was having this discussion with someone on Twitter, uh, not even someone who's like, you know, who identifies as being on the right. So this is how disturbing it is. It's like, um, you know, Gert Wilders, right? Yeah. I was saying that he's racist, and the person was like, no, no, he's actually not. He's just a xenophobe because he's fine with black people. <laughs> but <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe I have to have this this discussion. You know, sometimes sometimes there shouldn't be nuance. Like, I don't want nuance for different types of rapes or, you know, yeah. people who are going to spend their time saying actually this rape was like this type of rape versus right. this type of rape or this type of racist versus this slightly different type of racist. But right. excuse me, what are pronouns? What? You yeah. know, <laughs> let them self-identify in every euphemistic, you know, way they want, the bigots, but mm -hmm. do not give trans people any dignity. Right. It's like those people that are really specific kinds of vegetarians. You're like, okay, man, <laughs> it's just going to be easier for me if I say vegetarian, though. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, we do not need that for racists and rapists. Yeah. So can I tell you my – I was going to – I was looking forward to bouncing this off of you. So I have like one central beef with the cancel culture stuff, mm -hmm. and I wanted to run it past you. So – I think one of the hallmarks of moral panics is using one term to describe a large number of completely disparate phenomena. Mm -hmm. So to me, the central problem with the cancel culture discourse and all the sort of steel manning that happens around cancel culture is the conflation of public figures and private individuals. Mm -hmm. That whenever some you know public figure like J.K. Rowling writes this transphobic essay and you're like, that's transphobic and transphobia is bad. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, oh, so you must be okay with cancel culture. Pretty soon, random people are going to be fired from their jobs for just expressing a question about gender or whatever. And it's like, to me, I think the, the central sort of myth of the slippery slope mm -hmm. is the idea that we can go from somebody like J.K. Rowling to a random accountant who nobody has ever heard of being fired from their job for saying something transphobic. Mm -hmm. Like to me, those are different categories of people mm -hmm. and we need to treat them differently. Yeah, I mean, even legally, right? There's a reason why. Yes. Public figures and, have different rules applied to them. And, yes, libel laws are completely right. different for them. Yeah, yeah uh, that makes sense to me. I mean... And I also, I also think that there has never been a time when a famous person, somebody as famous as J.K. Rowling, could say, could express an unpopular political opinion and be free of consequences. Do you know what I mean? Like, public figures do not have an expectation that their public statements will not produce any kind of reaction. Right. And since we've had celebrities in America, it is not safe for celebrities to express any opinion at all. Like, there was a time when... Like, if we're talking about the 1940s, celebrities couldn't just say, we shouldn't go into World War II. We should stay out of Europe. Mm -hmm. That was a really controversial view. Mm -hmm. And people probably would have lost their jobs for that at the time. Mm -hmm. Like, this has always been the nature of public life, that if you decide to express a political opinion, you are going to receive consequences for it. 
Like that just seems like a normal thing that happens. And not just like from the left. The amount of times people self-censor to kind of pander to right-wing political correctness, and it's never, ever framed in that way. That's what really pisses me off. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, most of the cancellations in history before the social media revolution were people, you know, Muhammad Ali said, no Viet Cong ever called me the N-word. Right. And like lost a huge number of opportunities for years. Like it was a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the guys that raised their fists at the 1968 Olympics for black power, like those guys were blacklisted. Mm-hmm. Like most of the sort of cancellations of public figures in history were not for being like too woke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. It was conservative backlash. Those are the people in power, right? So they would historically be the ones to do the canceling. It's only now because people can kind of gather collectively and have a voice that people may go overboard sometimes in fighting for the powerless, right? Yeah. Sometimes I don't agree with anti-racist tactics. And believe me, I'm pretty down with the cause. And I also think... If we're going to have this moral panic about sort of too harsh criticism, I think that there has to actually be evidence that this is affecting random people as opposed to just celebrities. Like, it is true that J.K. Rowling received a lot of criticism for her transphobic essay, but it is not the case that people who casually express transphobic views at their workplaces are being fired in any large numbers. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that that leap has not happened. And if you look at sort of the You mean Jordan of- Peterson isn't in prison yet? <laughs> I mean, nobody knows where he is, is my understanding. So he might actually be in prison. This is true, although, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> although probably for something else. Um, but it's like there's, there's always this conflation of, you know, Gina Carano is being criticized for anti-Semitic views. And so what if a random accountant living in Des Moines, Iowa, he can't even express himself. He can't even ask questions. Yeah. And it's like, well, those are not the same category of person. Like Very I, different. I actually have a completely different standard of behavior for a random accountant in Des Moines. Mm-hmm. Like in a genuine way, if random people are expressing like, QAnon shit online or weird anti-Semitic shit or anti-trans shit, I don't need those people to lose their jobs because they're random ass people. They're Mm -hmm. not speaking with any authority. They're not speaking with any platform. They don't actually have any influence over society. Mm -hmm. I don't like their views, but I see no reason to get them fired. And there's no, there is no sort of movement to get those people fired in general, right? Like we've had a couple of these isolated incidents where there's been a misunderstanding or somebody gets sort of plucked out of obscurity and people go after their job, but that isn't really happening on any large scale. The vast majority of quote unquote cancellations are of public figures. And like, it's actually not a double standard to have a different standard of behavior for famous people and non-famous people. That's Mm -hmm. just like a normal part of life that we hold them to a different standard. But this is what they're afraid of, I suppose, is that once it becomes the norm to not accept this stuff from famous mm-hmm. people, then it will start to impact their social circles too. And you can see that kind of playing out with like the N-word discussions. I suppose at some point people felt more comfortable saying it around their friends. Now less people's friends are accepting it and mm-hmm. it's affecting their personal lives. And people are afraid of losing the right to say the N-word, very afraid. This is also another one, though, where I feel like it's a huge structural weakness of this entire discourse, that everything that is being written about it 
is being written by journalists and mostly national level journalists who are public figures, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you have a podcast or if you're a national reporter for the New York Times, you're a public figure. Mm -hmm. And so you do actually have to be a little bit more careful with the way that you speak about things publicly than other people would be. Like there's also this weird thing that we've had all these shakeups at national publications over various sort of anti-racist, like there's been a million of these over the last couple of years, Mm -hmm. right? But then there seems to be this like slippery slope thing that like, oh, we're firing opinion columnists for having bad opinions. What next? And it's like, well, having good opinions is part of their job. Like, this is it. Like, but Barry Weiss left herself, and that was the yes, take, though. I know, exactly. She like, was being fired, and she was being canceled and driven out, and what next? But that's not even the case in her case. case. I know. A lot of them just, like, decided to leave because yeah. their, their ploy of trying to get fired didn't work yeah. in the end. Or some terrible professor is, you know, getting fired for being bad at his job. Yes. But the line is that he got fired because of wokeness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, I mean, this is another, like, bad slippery slope argument, I think, in that, like, somebody like Barry Weiss or Andrew Sullivan or Kevin Drum recently left Mother Jones, somehow kind of wokeness, cancel stuff might have been involved. But, like... These are opinion columnists. Like, it's okay to fire opinion columnists for having bad opinions. Like, there's, again, this slippery slope to, like, people are losing their jobs for their political opinions. But, like, having good opinions is one of the central tasks (laughs) of the job. So if those people are losing their jobs, I don't see a slippery slope. It's like saying you know, airline pilots are being fired for crashing planes. Soon, waitresses will get fired for crashing planes. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, waitresses don't do that. So Mm -hmm. like, again, the accountant in Des Moines, there's no actual evidence that accountants in Des Moines are being fired for their political opinions because having good political opinions is not their job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. And I mean, it depends on what they say, who they say it to, and how much, how how far is their opinion going to go, right? Yeah, it's not gonna it's not gonna elicit the same kind of response that like someone from the New York Times will, even well, got, on Twitter, yeah. unless they get picked up and championed by the right. And right, they always pick these figures, and then they become really big figures. Remember um, this guy? What's his name? James Damore, fired oh, yeah, for truth. The men's rights dude, the at Google, Google who got yeah, fired. Yeah, that yeah. was what a story, and all these. Yeah. All these classical liberals just fell right in line, you know? know. He's no bigot. Like, he put a document out in his workplace saying that women are more neurotic and so much, like, so much absurd (laughs) shit. Like, that's just inappropriate behavior at work. You know, that's not wokeness. It's just unprofessionalism. There's also, I mean, that's also an interesting one, too, in that, again, you've got this conflation of sort of social media mobs, right, which is like a public flaying of somebody who we don't like with internal employee pushback, which seem like different things to me. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the recent cases in media haven't actually been somebody getting fired for like the public freaking out. It's been employees internally at the company complaining about them to management. 
And that doesn't feel like cancel culture to me. That just feels like office politics and like right, a right. thing that happens in offices. Yes. You're so and right not- when you say that these are like so many different little things that are being swept under the same umbrella. Like, you know, all of this is cancel culture. Like, are we ca- calling firing cancel culture? Are we calling right. office politics cancel culture? Right. I don't, I mean, my understanding is that the term cancel culture mostly arose out of the sort of cancel R. Kelly wave after mm-hmm. that documentary came out. And the idea with canceling is that public figures are not employed in a sort of standard sense. You can't fire R. Kelly because mm-hmm. it's not like he's not employed like that. And so the idea of canceling somebody is removing support from mm-hmm. this sort of known individual, right? Like mm-hmm. taking away any further opportunities, any support, you know, having them on streaming services, whatever. Mm-hmm. But to me, it feels like you can't cancel somebody who you've never heard of before, mm-hmm. right? Like when Amy Cooper was on camera, like that horrible call to the police, she's like, a oh, black man is threatening me. And oh, right, really right, terrible. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like people weren't canceling Amy Cooper because no one knew who Amy Cooper was. They were asking for her to be fired and she was eventually fired. But I don't, I don't know that we need a term for that. Like that's just somebody being fired. We have a term. Mm-hmm. Like nothing, nothing was being canceled. Plus there. the guy, uh, she was, uh, you know, speaking against at the time, I, I believe he got on Twitter and he was like, you know, I don't approve of yeah, uh, yeah. how she's been treated. And I think, she, did she get sent to prison briefly or something like that? Did she get arrested? Something like that. I think they just, I'm pretty sure they didn't, I'm pretty sure they dismissed the charges. Okay. And Chris Cooper, the guy was yeah. like supportive of that. He's like, she's been through enough. Yes. She yes. doesn't need. I actually kind of agree with that on some yeah, level. Yeah, yeah. That's the like, thing. People don't notice, you know, these, moments where people on the left people on the anti-racist side are saying no you know don't don't go don't go so far with this yeah I, I mean a lot of these cases it's like I don't necessarily need somebody to go to jail because like being shunned on this level publicly is like maybe worse like it's really bad and like I think in that case it's probably deserved like I'm I'm completely fine with the way that this played out but like, but this is exactly the nuance that gets lost in the sort of cancel culture is good versus cancel culture is bad. Mm-hmm. But like each one of these cases have specifics that make it not appropriate to put it into that box anyway. Mm-hmm. It's funny because the side that calls for nuance for like different types of racists, different types of sexual predators, they mm-hmm. do not see the nuance in uh, different types of situations, which they all lump in together as uh, cancel culture. Well, this is, I mean, this to me is just like a, it, it's just, this is what makes it a moral panic to me is because it only, it's, it is de facto a pejorative term. It's like government bureaucrat, mm-hmm. right? You don't, you don't call somebody a government bureaucrat unless you dislike them. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's, it's a pejorative way of saying something neutral. So mm-hmm. cancel culture is just the pejorative term that you apply to something that you don't like. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's not like it's not a meaningful term. So every once in a while there will be these polls that come out that will be like 60% of Americans think cancel culture has gone too far. <laughs> that's, like, that's because it's a term that trains people to think of it negatively. Yeah, yeah. You find the same thing with political incorrectness. Like is political correctness too far? And it's like, yes, but that's because politically correct is a pejorative term. So, of course, everybody hates it. Like it is designed to make people hate it. Right. It's inbuilt into the term. and yes. People are seeing it differently depending on who they are and what they think it means. So, yeah. Yeah, it's like, do you hate activist judges? Yeah. Like, every, yes, because that's a term that is used to describe judges that go too far. 
Yeah. So everyone is going to say, I think activist judges have gone too far, but your definition of activist is what's going to change. Mm-hmm. And also some of the stuff is just so absurd. Like it's become like this way of stopping conversation um, where say Ayan Hirsi Ali, I saw her tweet <laughs> concern oh, no. that cancel culture was coming for Ghislaine Maxwell, <laughs> you know, like she's the literal, uh, you know, predator, child yeah. trafficker for Jeffrey Epstein. How absurd. Again, we don't, but that's another one where it's like, do we even need, like, does the term cancellation even mean anything in that context? Like, she's on trial for crimes. Like, they're, like yeah, it means nothing. On, yes, like, people who are on trial for crimes against children are stigmatized in our society. That has always been true. As I don't know they why. should be, yeah. Like, yes, we don't need, like, a fancy new term for the fact that, like, we tend not to like people who are accused of exploiting children in this way. There's never been a time in America when people who do this are not stigmatized. So, like, what does cancellation mean? It's like, she's on trial for a really nasty crime. Like, yes, everybody hates her. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and I believe that she talked about Brett Kavanaugh being canceled by wokists, <sighs> too. So, and at the same time, she's cultivating this image. She's fashioning herself as this great champion of women's rights and these quillette centrists are all about pushing her as this great true feminist hero and anyone who doesn't buy into the fact that she's the true feminist yeah is canceling her or is too woke yeah i mean i think there's a big structural thing too with so many people having independent podcasts and independent websites and the sort of subscription model of journalism that a lot of journalists are shifting to. One thing that we have noticed with our show is whenever we tweet out or we talk about sort of, you know, we're getting negative reviews or we're being targeted by trolls or something, we get this massive outpouring of support mm-hmm. in ways that like makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Like we we usually get a bump in our Patreon donations mm. if we talk about like people are sort of accusing us of this or like we're getting misogynistic abuse in our mentions or whatever. Mm. And I, it, it only really clicked for me when I started to notice this pattern. And this is why we don't like talk about that stuff very much is it feels like this really manipulative way to act like I'm under attack and you need to support me. Mm. And with this sort of subscription model or with people with sort of, you know, like the Ben Shapiro's or the Dave Rubens of the world, it makes sense for them to have this stance that like I am constantly under attack because that's really good for getting people to support you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think like it just there, there weren't incentives for journalists to do this before. But right now with, you know, all of these subscription models, it just makes a lot of sense to constantly highlight the ways that you're under attack or like it could all come crashing down, even if that's objectively not true. Mm-hmm. And I it's just like the fear mongering, like right? Exactly. Like you have to act like what you're saying is this forbidden truth that nobody wants to hear. Mm-hmm. Like this is a hallmark of cancel culture discourse that it's like, it's like this Voldemort thing, like nobody wants to talk about what's going on. And it's like, ma'am, there were articles in the Atlantic <laughs> this week and Mother Jones, and there's 10 different substacks. There are entire publications dedicated Ugh. to the excesses of the woke crowd. Like people are talking about this far more than they need to be, but they have to have this stance that it's this sort of forbidden fruit 
to make you feel like you're part of some tiny elite club for reading, constantly reading the same drivel, the same stories over and over again. Over and over. A woman's studies professor at the University of Iowa got fired over something silly, like just constant. You could totally do like a whole book of like Mad Libs. Just yes. like, oh yeah. Cancel culture, Mad Libs. You can make your own stories and just like replace different adjectives and, you know. Yes. You'll have like the next 10 years of these articles ready. You can just yes. like tick them off as they write them. One of my favorite stories is from this publication that I'm totally obsessed with called Persuasion, <laughs> which aims to be exactly what it sounds like, but it absolutely isn't. It's just like a digest of like scolding leftists. Like that's all they do. And one of the articles that I've read like 20 times is called They Tried to Cancel Me. And <laughs> it's by a tenured professor at some university. And the dude apparently attended a Blue Lives Matter rally. And at some points in the article, he says, like, I was just there as an observer and people mistakenly thought that I was supporting it. And then at other times in the article, he's like, we should have viewpoint diversity in schools. And it's like, mm, well, OK, anyway. <laughs> so he was there and I guess students found, saw, somehow figured out that he was there and they lodged a complaint with the university that this indicates that he probably has some racist views. Mm -hmm. And the university investigated and that was it. The university took no action. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's the whole article. That's the story. And he's that's getting whole story. a platform to say this, that they, that they investigated it and did nothing. And did nothing. And it's like, this is, this is the victimhood that I'm like supposed to be super concerned with. Like somebody lodged a complaint and the school looked into it and then they didn't do anything because it seems like it wasn't a based claim. Okay. <laughs> like, that's not even a real story. Like surely thousands of complaints get lodged with universities every week against professors for like justified and non-justified right. things. Right. This is called like, complaints. This is not cancel culture. We've had this for a while. No. Exactly. And like, <laughs> what what are the steps in the process that should have been different? Like, how did the system break down in that case in a way that you want to highlight? Right. Like, the only actual argument behind any of that was that like the students shouldn't have complained. Mm -hmm. And like, okay, but like. Students complain about all kinds of stuff. And like some of it is justified and some of it is not. Yeah. But it's it's not mean, a national issue when like somebody lodges a complaint <laughs> like my teacher had something stuck in her teeth this morning. The school looks into it. There's nothing there. We all move on. Like is that – Cancel culture. Do we culture. need a publication that does that? Like why, why are we talking about this, man? <laughs> you know, when Dave Rubin started his channel, I was mm. like, okay, this has to die out soon because how <laughs> often – can they hear the same episode with the same guests talking about the same thing, the regressive left, this political correctness? Mm -hmm. It's just, I, I really thought it wouldn't last. I mean, but these people have an appetite for just being mm -hmm. told the same thing over and over again just to be made to feel better about their terrible politics. Incredible. And by these journalists that seem to have, like, no other interests, like a lot of these journalists – just write about the same thing over and over again? <laughs> and like, like why? Like, it, it's not like these people have deep sort of reserves of knowledge in specific expertise. Like, I know all about EU institutions or I'm going to talk about nuclear nonproliferation and this cancel culture stuff as a side gig. Like, there are now journalists who write about nothing else. And every week, it's some new missive about like the one this week 
was that Bon Appetit is going back in time and changing its recipes because some of them are now like a little bit culturally insensitive. Some of the recipes they'll have like little intros where they talk about like various, you know, international cuisines and they'll say like kind of not mm. so sensitive things about like Jewish people or Thai people mm. or, you know, words that were fine in the 1990s and are now a little bit why outdated. Why is this such a big deal? I don't get it. I, and it's like, why are we talking about this? This is a thing that magazines do. Like, <laughs> this is not totalitarianism. I this thought is, it was um, good to revise your views as new information became available. Yes. And also, you can make the argument that like, you should leave them up for sort of historical posterity. And even if it's a little bit cringy now, we should leave them up as sort of a record of the way that we talked about food and culture mm-hmm. in the 1990s. Fine. But even if like you do think it's silly that the website is doing this, it's not like Orwellian. It's not worthy <laughs> of national attention. Like there's now been like numerous articles written about this effort that Bon Appetit is doing. And it's just like, why are we paying so much attention to this thing that even if you think it's silly, it's not remotely consequential. Like there's no impact behind this at all. This is real oppression though. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean and even when they leave it up, right? Like the Muppets did just that. They left the episodes that they thought were insensitive, but they put a little disclaimer saying that, you know, it wasn't okay to talk like this then and it isn't okay now, but we're leaving our episodes up. But people have been talking, like, what was it? Donald Trump Jr. said the Muppets had been canceled. And I I thought literally they had been canceled. But no, no, it's not canceled. The show is not canceled. It just has a disclaimer on some episodes. And one episode was removed because I think it was with a guy who was convicted of having child porn or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, a couple other episodes, they couldn't get the music rights to them, something like that. Mm-hmm. So those episodes are not there. Okay, so like the Gary Glitter episodes are gone, but like it's not it's not totalitarianism. Yeah, what is up with that? Why is... These are the anti-snowflake people. Like the levels of hypocrisy are just yeah. stunning to me on the right. You know, there was, um, I think my favorite one for this was there was like a library. It's always some tiny thing that you've never heard of. It was like a library in Nebraska or something. No, no. I think it was, um, it was like the American librarians association or something like some sort of professional association had a literary award that was named after Laura Ingalls Wilder. And in the last couple of years, as people have been pointing out more and more problematic stuff in Laura Ingalls Wilder's books, they renamed the award like they didn't want to have an award named after her anymore. So they renamed it to I forget who. And of course, this this bounces around the the American right in this sort of outrage echo chamber about how like they're erasing our history <laughs> and you can't even talk about real stories and her books are a treasure. and Now they're being removed from the libraries. And it's like they're changing the name of an award. And it's, <laughs> it's an organization that like I had never heard of before this. Presumably, like, Donald Trump Jr. had never heard of before this. This is not, like, the Pulitzer Committee or something. It's just a random literary award that's changing the name. Like, why why would this even need national attention? It's like any progress is Orwellian to them. They just want to be stuck where they're stuck. And they always refer to equality movements from the past as being acceptable. But anything right now. It's just completely yeah. unacceptable. Whereas if you put them in a time machine and took them back, then they would be the people that are objecting to any 
movement for equality in the past, too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, all of these arguments are exactly the arguments that they levied against Martin Luther King Jr. Mm. And like any movement for gay people in Mm -hmm. the 1970s and 80s, word for word, the same arguments. We're moving too fast. Mm -hmm. This is going too far. These snowflakes are oversensitive. I mean, it's just the same stuff. This is what makes it so tedious. Mm -hmm. Where it's like for my podcast, I'm reading, you know, old congressional hearings from the 1980s. And then oh, I'm like, wow. I'll take a break and go to Twitter. And then you go to Twitter and it's like literally the same arguments. <laughs> yeah. It's a slippery slope. And you're like, really? We're going to do this again, are we? Okay. Yeah. And the left is always at such a disadvantage because the left actually does criticize its own. Yes. Where the right does not criticize its own. So the right will criticize someone on the left. And if the left thinks, hmm, yeah, you know, that doesn't seem like a good thing. So the left will criticize them too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then if it's someone on the right, the right all like kind of build this wall around them, this wall of support. And the left is the only one criticizing and they're being accused. Like even when it comes to someone as bad as fucking Trump and after everything that he did, they will not... Stop supporting him. It takes so much. Yeah. I mean, this is this is the central structural problem, I think, of American politics and American media is that when you have something like Al Franken, like the, mm-hmm. the allegations mm-hmm. against Al Franken, the right wing media and the left wing media will both amplify mm-hmm. that because mm-hmm. the left wing ecosystem is a functioning ecosystem that will hold its own members to account. Mm-hmm. And then you have the like absurd number of groping and sexual assault allegations against Donald Trump. That, you know, remember, like, his entire presidency, these were coming out, like, every Mm -hmm. couple months, there'd be some new accuser with, like, this horrific story of whatever she experienced. I mean, it doesn't even get worse than what he said on audio himself. I know! Like, we all knew that, and people voted (laughs) for him anyway. I was so shocked, yeah. But because of all the, but because the right-wing media system is not remotely functioning, there's a huge tempest about it on the left, and total radio silence on the right. So it doesn't... Like, those things never felt like scandals in the way that left-wing scandals. That's the problem. Yes, exactly. Because just half of the country has no idea that it's going on. And they and so they have no values or consistency. Yeah. And they're happy to let people get away with anything if it benefits them politically. This, this is what drives me nuts in the last couple of weeks of we've had articles in The New York Times, Mother Jones, and The Atlantic about this initiative in San Francisco to rename a bunch of schools. Because after all the Black Lives Matter protests this summer, there was kind of this racial reckoning, mm-hmm. and they set up a commission to look at all the names of all the schools and figure out, you know, is there anything problematic in any of these names? How many should we change? What should we change them? What are the reasons? Etc. And so in the last couple of months, this commission put out its recommendations, and infamously, they recommended changing a school named after Abraham Lincoln because of his policies mm-hmm. toward Native Americans. They recommended changing the name of one of the schools that's named after Dianne Feinstein, who's a living person mm-hmm. and a sitting California senator. I mean, it does actually seem like some of the justifications behind some of these things seemed a little bit sort of overblown mm-hmm. or a little bit silly. But the problem is the American right aims at that. And the American left aims at that. Mm -hmm. So it becomes this huge thing, this sort of national talking point that these names are going to change. Who fucking cares if some names of schools change? They could have just quietly changed all the names and nobody would have even noticed, right? Right, right. Who cares? It it means nothing for academic freedom. It means nothing for the experiences of children in the classrooms. It's just totally meaningless. And then about three months before that, toward the end of his term – Donald Trump signed an executive order that was banning diversity and exclusion trainings in all institutions that receive federal yes. funding. Yes. Which is like 
a straightforward free speech restriction. Like it doesn't get more censorshipy than that. And there was no outcry. No. It was like a, a couple of hard news articles, page 17 of the New York Times or whatever. But it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. And it's like, well, which one of those has more impact? Like universities were canceling yeah. their diversity trainings yeah. because of this. Like it was hugely influential and it just like went by. Yeah. One of the grand tragedies of this absurd narrative is that it's hijacked any discussion of the actual threats to free speech mm -hmm. on the left. And they're all coming from the right. Mm -hmm. Like there are numerous state legislatures that are trying to ban any inclusion of the 1619 project in schools, mm -hmm. like banning it, ban like government bans. <laughs> this yep. is straight up censorship. Yeah, even it, I think early on in Trump's presidency, he had said something about people burning the U.S. flag and how he would strip them of their citizenship. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing from yeah, these yeah, yeah. free yeah. speech heroes. Nothing. Yeah, that's the thing. And then nothing feels like a scandal. Like if any of these people actually cared about free speech, <laughs> like sometimes they put out some like perfunctory, like, no, not wild about this executive order or whatever. But they're not having like five day meltdowns the oh, way yeah. that they do over anything that the left does. They had so a meltdown when Richard Spencer had his gym <laughs> membership revoked. <laughs> and the kinds of excuses that I was hearing, I mean, maybe I see this stuff more because I, you know, follow movement to atheism and there's some really terrible people in that so yeah there there was just like okay don't like his views don't agree with him but like let him work out or like it's like what kind of consequences are you willing to accept for being a fucking nazi not even the most <laughs> i most insignificant thing can happen to richard spencer fuck no I wasn't even aware of this. So, like, his gym said, we don't want to let you work out here anymore. That was it? Yeah, because there was a woman. I think she's a professor, and that added to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And she recognized him at the gym, and she went up to him and said, you're, like, I, I don't remember the story exactly. It was a couple years ago now. So I think she said, you're a Nazi, and she took pictures of him, and people were like, this is not right. And, you know, of course, oh I don't God. agree with his views or anything, but come on, you know, he was working right. out. And there was another time where the crying Nazi, Chris Cantwell, mm, yeah, he got removed from a dating app. Okay, Cupid. <laughs> And this was like a big deal. Oh, my God. Like, I just remember reading the smug ass tweets of these. They're not even on the right, supposedly. Mm -hmm. This person that I'm thinking of right now identifies as a liberal, centrist, mm -hmm. whatever, you know. He was like, this is like smug leftist groupthink. Okay, think oh the God. guy is an asshole, but let the guy find love. And I'm like, he has just been shown to be a violent yeah. Nazi. This is right after Charlottesville. He had a bunch of weapons found on him or something. Come on, if the company doesn't yeah. want to expose their customers to potentially dating an armed fucking Nazi. <laughs> the human right to swipe right? Like, what is this? <laughs> I don't understand. So, coming from, you know, the atheist scene, mm -hmm. I remember the exact flip of these arguments. So, it's so absurd to me, right? Because they used to argue for deplatforming, uh, you know, conservative... Muslims in oh, universities. Right. They used yeah. to, um, you know, they tried to cancel C.J. Whirlman, whom I am not a fan of at all. So mm. they did all of these things. 
right? But now they're doing the exact opposite. When it comes to even right. Nazis, they they used to say, oh, you know what? We need to change the culture. Islam oh needs to learn from, uh, you know, the West. Look at how racism, you know, isn't tolerated in polite society anymore. You can... <laughs> You can change attitudes like this. You know, the Muslim community should learn from us. There are social consequences to being racist here. Right. Yeah, you know, I support that. But it's like, no, you actually don't. Because when the yeah. conversation flipped around and we're actually talking about so many degrees of racist, none of it is acceptable to you. Not even the smallest consequence. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. I feel like we've seen this nationwide years-long gaslighting since Trump was elected, mm. where we take these easy cases and we call them hard cases, mm. right? Like there is, there really is a gray area in sort of what is okay for businesses not to allow a person to use their services. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are people that like they did some bad stuff, but I don't think it's necessarily to the level where sort of we should blacklist them. Mm. But like Richard Spencer is not it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Richard Spencer is like an out and out Nazi. Like, I don't feel bad about him losing his gym membership. That's an easy one. Do you know what I mean? It's like we keep having the conversations that we should have about the gray areas mm -hmm. for people who are not in the gray areas. Right. But if they right? can't like, even concede these things, that's what alarms me so exactly. much. And it's like we're, we're banning Trump from Twitter and like what next? And it's like that's not a hard one. Yeah. That's a really, really easy one, right? A yeah. person in power who has a million other mm -hmm. communications channels fomenting mm -hmm. violence, violence that literally kills people, not mm -hmm. theoretical violence. Like, that's really fucking easy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, like, there are hard ones, but that's not one of the hard ones, man. Yeah. yeah. It's just this whole conversation is so frustrating. There's so much confusion when it comes to right. cancel culture. And as you were saying, when they were trying to get universities to cancel their diversity programs or whatever, just recently, New Hampshire lawmakers were discussing banning schools. Yeah, divisive issues in schools. Yeah, From teaching about systemic racism and sexism yes. in public yes. schools and state-funded programs. Yes. What and again, like maybe you agree with it and maybe you don't. But all of this, like, I just think we should hear them out stuff immediately disappears mm. the minute it's somebody in power doing it, mm -hmm. right? Like, I think it's sort of it's not supposed to matter because, like, maybe those laws won't go through or whatever. But it's like we, we've been talking about a district changing the names of schools, like something that has no impact whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And it has this has potential to have actual impact. Mm -hmm. So it's weird that we would be ignoring one and not the other. Mm -hmm. Like – the, um, the one that I keep coming back to as well, everybody's forgotten about this now because there's so many of these, but Ted Cruz wrote an open letter in which he called upon the Department of Justice to investigate Netflix because he didn't <laughs> like a movie that was on the service this summer. Like, again, straightforward attempt to control speech and just like no outcry whatsoever. Yeah. Like, all right, Ted Cruz is going to do his Ted Cruz thing. Like, well, okay, but then like the the... Oakland school board is like a slippery slope. Someday they might be as bad as Ted Cruz. And it's like, well, we've got Ted Cruz right there. Yeah. We can yeah. just talk about Ted Cruz. Or also make a bigger deal about the right using its actual power to stifle speech. Yes. I mean, I do think like one of the overlooked things in this is that we keep hearing that there's this this slippery slope to left-wing totalitarianism or whatever. But there's numerous states where Democrats control 
both houses of Congress and the governorship. And like, like California, they have a super majority in both houses and they're not passing laws that you're going to go to jail for using the wrong pronouns for somebody. Right. Like if, if this was they're something not? Democrats, <laughs> I'm doing this from jail right now. <laughs> but it's like, I knew it. If Democrats aspired to this, there would be signs of those aspirations beyond the sort of, you know, a Smith College lecturer had to go to a, a bias training that was irritating. Do you know what I mean? Like you would see actual evidence of this. All of the evidence that there's some sort of threat of left-wing totalitarianism is these isolated non-stories. Yes, There just yes. isn't any evidence that there's anyone in power who seeks to do this. Yeah, they're not making saying the N-word a crime just right. yet. Exactly. <laughs> it is really bizarre to me how much time some people spend on this issue, you know? Like, okay, there are contexts where people are maybe just describing it, some something that they read or, you know, something that they saw. And I agree that those contexts, it's possible to not say it, you know, with the intent to offend. But the amount of time that the... Some oh of these God. people spend on this issue is just to find those exceptions where oh, you could say it. It's so transparent. It's the weirdest hill to die on. Right? Like, I cannot think. I cannot think of a dumber hill to die on when somebody <laughs> says like, "You can never say this word again for your natural life," and you're like, "No! Like, why? <laughs> why? Why would this be something worth like fighting about and fighting in public about? In public, like, yeah. You look just so don't ever ridiculous. say it again. It's really you're not losing anything. You know, so much of this reminds me of my toddler. Sadly, he's you know he's a baby <laughs> still, so. He'll mm. grow out of these tantrums, mm -hmm. but the repetition and, you know, the oh, yeah. doing what you're told not to do. Why does the right seem perpetually stuck in, like, toddlerhood? I was going to ask you this. What, what, what do you think are the lessons from the new atheists for all this? For cancel culture? Yeah, I mean, because I always thought, because like you, I sort of dabbled in the new atheism stuff when I was younger. Hmm. And I feel like there was the same sort of pattern in new atheism, where it was just putting out the same messages over and over again. Mm -hmm. It was like, here's something dumb that the Christians did mm -hmm, today. And mm -hmm. it was like arguments to own the Christians mm -hmm. in this, with this weird pantomime that like I was going to find myself in an argument with a Christian about like the beliefs that they have. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not based in any reason. Like I, I don't go around arguing with people about their religious beliefs. And like the the silly things that Christians are doing That's don't actually affect me that much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it it seemed like it was the same kind of structure where there's entire media institutions and journalists dedicated to just putting out the same article five hundred times. Oh yeah, and there's still there's still people that are like that just haven't evolved. Like I grew up in a theocracy as a woman forced by the state to wear a black cloak at all times, you know, unless I was in my compound walls. Mm -hmm. And even I got bored, you know, like initially it was very cathartic to me to just be angry and lash out at religion mm -hmm. because of growing up in a theocracy, right? Mm -hmm. But then, you know, a year or two into it, you're like, okay, no big deal. Right. Like creationism is 
ridiculous. Yes, we know religion isn't real. God isn't real. Right. Okay, now what? Can we talk about something else now? Right. And the generic accounts that have these, like, pictures of themselves or pictures of statues or pictures of sunsets and their stupid atheist quotes, like, owning the libs. Oh, my God. And the overlaps with the anti-wokeness, you know, it's like they've yeah. just tried to make themselves relevant again, and they've yeah. chosen this awful path. Yeah. It's so sad. Where it's just like, here's a random person who you've never heard of, and the dumb thing that they did or said. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, there was a big, the er example of this is the Bon Me controversy at Oberlin from a few years ago, where there was a student newspaper that wrote an article about like all the bad international food in the cafeteria at Oberlin. And I one of this the, one. it's great. And one of the students, a kid from, I believe he was Vietnamese and he described the banh mi sandwiches. Mm-hmm. He said, that's cultural appropriation because they're taking these like shitty bread, shitty ingredients, and they're calling it a banh mi, but it's not banh mi. That's mm. cultural appropriation. And like this became like, it, there was a New York times story there were, like, again, like, five-day meltdowns of, like, national-level journalists on Twitter of, like, they're trying to ban international food at the cafeteria. And it's, like, no, it's literally <laughs> one guy. Like, it's it's a 19-year-old who said something that, like, maybe you think that's a bit of an overblown way to put it or maybe you don't. But either way, it's literally, like, a 19-year-old said something that you think is dumb. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, man. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's I don't not know why breaking news. talk about this for a week. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, as against um, Twitter mobs as they are now, it's funny because that was the early online atheist culture. It was to form a Twitter mob and go after some religious person and make fun of them, yeah. right? Yeah. So they've just come out looking like the biggest set of hypocrites to me, you know? Yeah. It's like Muslim immigrants, they could potentially be homophobic or anti-Semitic. Oh, yeah. So we must stop all Muslim immigration now. Yeah, yeah. But Ben Shapiro being homophobic is like cool and viewpoint diversity. Sam Harris saying that anti-Semitism isn't a big problem even in the aftermath of a synagogue shooting right is just edgy rational logical stuff right and the fact that the same like seven names keep showing up in shooter manifestos not something we ever need to concern ourselves with not something that should like make us feel sick to our stomach at all no no just like you know another shooter mentioned me before he killed a bunch of people no big deal no reason why we would have to like feel weird about this anyway extremism in the west i mean can we even really know what its motivations are they're all just random people just trolling online who knows what radicalizes them all of a sudden we're a country of lone wolves yes yes and i I remember reading something um about uh after in the post-trump era sort of like yes these people are not part of this like organized extremist movement but that's because extremism went mainstream in the trump era so like maga itself was like an extremist movement and that kind of clicked with me you know well 
yeah, that's like that's bad. Yeah, that's <laughs> very like, bad when extremism is the mainstream. Yes, like we now have thirty percent of the country that believes absurd things. That's like that's bad. Like there was a there was an attempt last week to cast the Gina Carano anti-Semitism stuff as like, well, look, these are the mainstream views of the conservatives in the United States. And like, how could we possibly punish her for her views if this is what most conservatives believe? And it's like, you're pretty close to getting it. Like, this this is troubling. Yeah. <laughs> oh. All right. So how about we listen to this incredible clip that I found? Yes. Um, from the Dan Crenshaw podcast. I didn't know he had a podcast. I didn't either. This is like the first time I've ever heard of it. And it's it's dire. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> but um, yeah, Ayan Hirsi Ali has been doing the rounds lately. Yeah. Telling people that black and brown men are coming to rape white women. And that's what real feminism is like, apparently. Yeah. Playing the hits, I know. <laughs> but the, yeah, so they talk about this article from your favorite publication, Persuasion, Ugh. and uh, it's such a silly article. It's so it's funny. so silly. Oh my god! Yeah, it's about a cancel culture checklist. Now they read through it, and we'll just listen to that. You shared a you shared an article on Twitter in, in August, uh, which I I don't know when this article came out. I'd have to click on it. The cancel culture checklist: six signs that show you're not being criticized, you're being canceled. This is—it's such a great checklist because it's—it is important because the right gets gets uh, accused of cancel culture too. The left likes to use our own words against us sometimes, but it's like, no, we're just criticizing. Like there, there, there's there's a difference between open and honest debate and making real objective arguments and just canceling. And I love this checklist. Uh, there's 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 six things to look out for that really define what cancel culture is. Um, maybe I'll just go through them real quick and then let you kind of respond to it. Um, one, punitiveness. So are people denouncing you to your employer, uh, your professional groups, or your social connections? Are you being blacklisted from jobs and social opportunities, et cetera? Uh, number two, deplatforming. Are, deplatforming. Are, are campaigners attempting to prevent you from publishing or giving speeches or attending meetings or just get you kicked off of Twitter? Uh, number three, organization. Does criticism appear to be organized and targeted? Number four, secondary boycotts. Is there is there explicit or implicit threats uh, that people who support you will get the same punitive treatment that you're receiving? Five, moral grandstanding. Is the tone of the discourse ad hominem, repetitive, ritualistic, posturing, accusatory, outraged? Are people flattening distinctions, demonizing you, slinging inflammatory labels, and engaging in moral one-umpsmanship? And uh, ignoring what you're actually saying, more importantly. And six, uh, truthfulness. Are, are, are the things even accurate, or are they just lying, or are they just uh, hurling insults? And I always say, if you have to insult me, it's a pretty good indication you don't have a very good argument to make. Yeah, so... Incredible stuff. That cancel culture checklist, I think I could go through all of it and point to how many times the right has done all of these things. Well, this is, uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is what drives me nuts about this checklist, is that, like, there's a real conversation to be had about bullying online mm -hmm. and the way that social media is making it easier to pluck people out of obscurity for these perceived social slights and ruin their lives. Like, that's a real problem. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't 
really have a left-right valence. No. Like, there are people who have said racist shit that have been canceled. There are people who have said anti-racist shit that have been canceled. Like, mm-hmm. there are a lot of celebrities that have been criticized for their views. There are a lot of, like, like we think of Kelly Marie Tran or Leslie Jones, like, left-wing women of color who've been hounded offline by mm-hmm. appalling abuse. Like, this has happened to... But in that, a- the Leslie Jones thing, the IDW types were all behind Milo. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Because she deserved it. This is the whole thing. It's like, yeah. if you deserve it, it's not cancel culture. But then if you deserve it, but then if canceling people who deserve it is fine, then you actually believe in cancel culture. This is, the, this is again, this thing where they pretend that they have procedural views. Mm-hmm. But if canceling people is okay if they deserve it, then the question is, what makes them deserve it? It's not about cancellation as a thing. And what had she done? Just did, did a movie, right? I think it was like the negative views of the new Ghostbuster film. I think that's what started it all. Yeah, and I think I think she was like funny online. I think she was like I <laughs> think she was like she? charming and funny. <laughs> like I think that was her main thing was that she was like kind of doing the pushback, like normal pushback to people being dicks to her online. Mm-hmm. I think that was like the main thing, and then that became like well, now we can totally pile on because she's asking for it. Mm. Like, this is the whole, like, this is the whole one-two punch. But again, I, I think it's like this, this absurd conflation between criticism and canceling, this absurd conflation between public figures and private figures has stopped a really necessary conversation about, like, what the platforms are doing and how terrible it can be for people online. Mm-hmm. But, but again, we have data on this. The, the main people that have really negative experiences online are not conservatives. It is like women, <laughs> women of color. It is trans people. Yeah. Like the people that get the most abuse and have the most vulnerability online are marginalized groups the same as in every other sector of American life. So the idea that we have to be concerned about online abuse, but only when it takes this precise form is just completely nuts. Yeah. Yeah. And – when are the right not punitive, right? There have been so many times where they have called for people's firing, where they have tried to cancel entire university departments, try to keep yep. lists of postmodern neo-Marxist professors or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Talking Points USA literally has a list of suspect professors. Yeah. That like are teaching things that they don't like. A- an actual list. Yeah. Turning points. So, also, do you remember when the New York Times hired Sarah Jong? Yes, as part yes, of the, yes, I believe yes. on the op-ed page. Yes, yes. And people unearthed old tweets where she said, like, you know, white men are the worst, LOL, like some sort of white men, quote unquote, slander. And people freaked out. And like, yeah, a lot of rational atheists did that. Yes. And like every once in a while, she will cross my feed on Twitter and I'll click on one of her posts. And in her replies, there's still like 10 dudes Like calling her the B word and stuff like being terrible. Like she's still getting abuse for that years later. Yeah. Is that not cancel culture? Is that not? Yeah. A social media mob. So it's like you can actually be a smart person and against social media mobs Mm -hmm. and like be actually concerned about this. The, The structures of social media make this so easy. But to call it like a left wing problem is just totally ahistorical. Like it's these are not the people that are being abused online. And again, there's a huge difference between public figures and private figures. In in his insane checklist, he mentions like, are you being deplatformed? 
It's like, well, how many people have platforms, man? Like you're right. talking about public figures, like random, like if you're a receptionist, you don't have a platform. No one is deplatforming you because you don't have a platform. So <laughs> why would we be talking about this as like an issue of national import? Right. But also deplatforming if CPAC does it, if Barry Weiss does it, if, right. you know, if Richard Dawkins demands that Rebecca Watson be deplatformed, that is not just, it's just not counted. Yes, it's, it's not it's, framed it that way. Yeah. He also, in this actual article, which I've read a couple times because it's on my, like my hate friend website, Persuasion, <laughs> he opens the article by quoting this poll by the Cato Institute, of course, mm-hmm. that a third of Americans are worried about losing their jobs if they express their real political opinions. And of course, it's like Republicans are more likely to be afraid of this. Older men are more likely to be afraid of this. And on some level, I don't know why this is a problem. I think like the idea that sort of we should be concerned that old white conservative men are afraid to express their political opinions in public, I, I don't know that I actually have a problem with that. But like, everywhere that I've worked, it's just generally understood that you should really not be engaging in controversial political discussion at work. It doesn't matter what your politics are. Yes, like, when was this glory period in American life where we were all just talking about politics at work all the time? Like, this has never been a thing. Yeah. Right? And, like, there were times in America where you would get fired for, like, being an atheist. Yeah. <laughs> like, again, we don't have less freedom to do this. Like, I I mean, there's this, you know, part of this critique gets wrapped up in this idea that, like, people are self-censoring themselves. And there's this, like epidemic of self-censorship among sort of semi-conservative people, especially in like woke spaces or whatever. And like, okay, like that just sounds like tact to me. That like, if, if you think that trans people are like terrible and coming for your kids and you don't feel comfortable saying that at work, okay, is that, (laughs) is that something that I should be concerned with and that like the nation should be concerned with? I don't know. (laughs) Like, I just don't know that sort of quote unquote self-censorship is actually something that the country should concern itself with. I mean, maybe, I don't know, tell me if I'm, if I'm totally off base, but it just seems like, why would this be with all the other national crises that we have right now? Why would we be talking about like 60 year old white dudes can't say that like women are worse at their jobs anymore? You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't, I honestly, I just think that comes under professionalism, right? Yes. Um, Just just as we were saying before, these are different things. Yes. If you look at sort of the kinds of political speech that Americans are getting fired for, like a lot of people got fired for wearing Black Lives Matter Mm t-shirts. A lot of people get fired for doing union organizing at their workplaces. Mm -hmm. Again, if there's a conversation to be had about political views at the workplace and the consequences of them, it's not just going to be right-wing opinions. Of course. So, like, there is a there is a conversation there if people want to have it. Mm-hmm. But it's like, it's I, I don't see why we should only be concerned about the fact that, like, 60-year-old white dudes aren't safe doing this anymore. It's not safe to say the N-word anymore, and <laughs> Western civilization has been destroyed. I know, I'm over here crying right now, just at the, at the mere mention. <laughs> just racked with sobs. Just... I honestly, and then the the idea that, okay, so when they say number five is like moral grandstanding, mm. is the tone of the discourse ad hominem, repetitive, ritualistic, 
posturing, <laughs> accusatory, <laughs> outraged? Are people flattening distinctions, demonizing you, or engaging in moral one-upsmanship and ignoring what you're actually saying? I mean, firstly, the idea that if you are insulting someone, it means you don't have a good point. That's also nonsense, right? Like yeah. you can yeah. insult someone and also have a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Also, that little checklist you just read out is like every Brett Stevens and Barry Weiss column ever written. Yes. Like a weird, grandiose tone, you know, like <laughs> flattering distinctions. References. Yeah. <laughs> Erasing context. Yep. Like, are we really against these? Again, these are like procedural rules and nobody actually has procedural rules for this stuff. Yeah. And then the, the, the last one, truthfulness. Are things even accurate or are they just lying? I mean, come on. Are we talking about no. like how many lies about cancel culture are out there or what? Right. Is that cancel culture? Is right. the discourse about cancel culture cancel culture? Right. And if you wanted to look at the toxicity that lies – are imposing on our political culture, hmm. would you look at random people on Twitter who are criticizing J.K. Rowling? No, you'd probably look at, like, the president who lies constantly. That's like, right. Like, Ted Cruz who lies constantly. Like, if we're talking about lies as a bad thing, where are the harmful lies in America right now? Do you know what I mean? It's like, it just, it's, it's, it's this weird dedication to truth, but a total refusal to aim that dedication at the places where it matters. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, very grandiose there. I might be canceling somebody right now. Oh, dear. I apologize. I'm meeting I'm meeting all the checklist requirements. When we end this episode, we're going to be canceling it. It's not going to be ending <laughs> the episode. This episode will have been canceled. Have you gotten any sort of abuse from doing your podcast? Like, do you get these nasty emails and stuff? Oh, yeah, so much. Really? Oh, yeah. Like I get called like um, a dirty immigrant and, mm. uh, you know, Two Muslim should be forcefully sterilized, stuff like that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Especially because I criticize Sam Harris. So. But this is, I mean, I feel like you and me are kind of a case study in this because, like, I I think I have more Twitter followers than you. Uh, but like, Yeah, I, by, like, I don't know, 10 times as much or something. I'm a reasonably, like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't actually know how many Twitter followers I have, but, like, I... I have like somewhat of a platform and like I do not get comments like this and I also talk shit on Sam Harris like constantly mm -hmm. and I talk shit on other people constantly like I'm I'm like not very charming online. You are absolutely very charming online. <laughs> I but, like, love I following you. But this is what's so fascinating to me is that like a man and a woman who say basically the same mm -hmm. stuff online, you receive more abuse than me even though more people are seeing what I'm saying yeah. than you. And it's like that to me feels like the conversation to have. That like, is that cancel culture? <laughs> like is that self-censorship? The fact that if you're a woman, you're probably going to be like, I might oh, just yeah. not want to weigh in on this one because I'm going to get shitted on. Yep. Whereas I, a like deeply mediocre white man, can just like wander, stumble into whatever debates I want to. And like <laughs> you know, the only kinds of abuse that I get online are people like, you're an idiot. Like, this guy didn't do the research. Like, I get those emails. Like, I get mm. ad hominem emails. But they're never personal in mm -hmm. the way that you're describing. And I just feel like that distinction, if we're going to talk about abuse online, we should probably talk about that distinction first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's not very important. You know, it's funny because I – so this scene, this atheist scene, they 
they claim to care about women in my position a lot, right? Yeah. Women coming from Saudi Arabia, from theocracies and Muslim majority countries, and they're the people that want to save us, right? Yeah, and yeah. help us. However, if you don't fall in line with their politics, they form a mob to come after you right. in the nastiest way possible. You know, yeah. I had like, I think, two weeks of like this swarm of atheists that were mad at me because I criticized Dave Rubin and Gad Sad, and this was before it was socially acceptable. Like, mm. um, I think maybe 2015, 2016, something like that. So you were into hating Dave Rubin before it was cool. Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, but yeah, so they went after me saying that I hadn't been oppressed enough <gasps> in Saudi Arabia. Holy shit. That's bad. And they used against me the fact that I've always been open and talked about the fact that within life in Saudi, I mm -hmm. haven't had the absolute worst life. Mm -hmm. Because my family has always been very nice and open and supportive and you know, mm -hmm. my dad didn't force me to marry anyone or beat me or my parents didn't force religion on me. And then we also grew up on a compound for foreigners because I'm not mm -hmm. actually Saudi. I'm of Pakistani background, but grew up in Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. And I've always been very open about this. And I've talked about how there's like two bubbles of existence. If you grow up like that, like within the compound walls, there's like, you know, a more Western life. Right. But as soon as you leave the compound walls, and you have to every single day to go to school, to go to the mall, to go to, mm -hmm. there's morality police outside. Right. And I've seen them like chase after my mom with like a cane, you know, because her head scarf slipped. And these things are, really traumatized me as a child. Yeah. So, of course, I've experienced oppression. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of oppression that they always claim to champion. But yeah, because yeah, yeah. I turn that critical lens inward into the scene, I was like the most canceled person ever. Hmm. You know? Yeah. The same people that used to applaud me for like, you know, having like a doesn't take anyone's BS attitude is so opinionated. Heck yeah. This is she's gonna right. talk to the Muslim conservatives. Just because I started to talk about Western conservatives critically as well, it was just you know, all bets are off. They're going to come after me for everything. Yeah. There's also the thing that like women in Saudi Arabia has become this shibboleth mm -hmm. that they use whenever anybody talks about like the gender wage gap in the United States. Oh, right? yeah. The first thing you hear is like, well, what about women in Saudi Arabia? And it's like, yeah, what about them? Like, what yeah. are you doing about this? Because it doesn't seem like that's an actually like a real concern of yours. Oh, only to use it against women yeah. asking for rights over here. And I had a whole conversation with two women from Saudi Arabia, I think a few mm -hmm. years ago on my podcast, where we talked about this whole thing about their hijacking about like the Western rights, hijacking of their Twitter hashtags. Like they mm -hmm. come and they hijack all the Saudi women's hashtags, like, you know, stop enslaving mm -hmm. Saudi women. And they just become infiltrated by these Western right-wingers. And so these Saudi women that I had on my podcast, they've had to familiarize themselves very much with all these figures. Like they knew who Dave Rubin was. They knew who Milo was. Mm. 
because they have to kind of watch out for themselves and they have to make sure they're not being hijacked. Their voices aren't being used to like hate on women over here. And they talked about how, how much they hate being used in this way yeah. to silence women over here. It's so it's so cynical. I, this is what I always think whenever they're like Muslims are coming to Europe and they're going to be terrible to the gays. I'm like, keep me the fuck out of this. Yeah. Like as a gay person, I do not want to have anything to do with this. Like keep out Muslims for my sake. Fuck you. Like, yeah. <laughs> they're they're only concerned about gay people in Europe. On Talk like about flattening distinctions, huh? Yeah. Like. like the people that are actually oppressing gay people are not like random refugees coming right, to Europe. Right. right? Like, that's and not, not everyone's what, right. the same. Yeah. So it's funny. It's so funny how hypocritical they are and just how little nuance they have when they want to have no nuance and how much nuance they have for racists. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, we couldn't jump to any conclusions. Yeah. You know, we we need to get more information. Endless. More study is needed. Yeah. Yes, yes. Is Charles Murray a bigot? No. I mean, yeah, okay, oh he God. was burning a cross <laughs> and he wants to take away uh, social programs for minorities mm -hmm. and he thinks they have lower IQs genetically that are right. not. We couldn't possibly. <laughs> we can't, How do we know? Or even fucking the Christchurch shooter. I don't know if you heard Sam Harris's podcast after that shooting. Dude, I heard about it on your show. Oh you were really God. mad about it. It was so <laughs> appalling. He could not tell I know. what the motivations of the shooter were. I mean, the guy only had like a fucking 50-page manifesto detailing his right. racist motivations. But, you know, those were a little too close to what people like Doug Murray and him talk about. So let's not acknowledge that. This is actually a pattern that we've seen in our podcast when we look into sort of majoritarian reactionary movements in the past is it's like they'll absorb the information and they'll acknowledge the information, but they won't come to the obvious conclusions about it, right? Mm. They'll be like, okay, this person lied and this other person lied and this other person lied, but I can't say that it's corrupt, Mm -hmm. Right. It's like it's like they'll take these little drops of information, mm -hmm. like the idea that like, OK, um, police forces, like there's been numerous articles mm. detailing links between law enforcement agencies and white supremacists. Mm -hmm. Like we've had these in all over the country. We've had footage of people walking up to police officers and giving white supremacy symbols and mm -hmm. getting them back. We have had this over and over again. It's been extremely consistent. And yet when it's like, OK, well, the obvious conclusion from that is that like we have a problem in America with law enforcement having ties to white nationalists. No, 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 I, I wouldn't go that far. Like, okay, there's been some isolated incidents and like <laughs> a couple different cities and like there's been a couple incidents, but I don't know. And it's like, how are you not coming to the obvious conclusion from this? This is like, even the facts and data crowd, right? Yes, completely. And the people that there can be like two terrorist attacks linked to Muslims, right? And yes. they're like, okay, we have to shut down Islam. Like we have to stop them from coming into the country. It's like this immediate leap to conclusions when it's an other. Yes. But when it's somebody from their own group, they're like, oh, you know, we couldn't possibly say. Yes. And they're so above, you know, tribalism. No tribalism, of course. No. No. That's, that's something for like the developing world. That's something that happens elsewhere. Yes. Of course. Yeah. Or, or the wokists. Or the wokists. <laughs> <laughs> I'm collapsing context. We're back yeah. on the checklist. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's just facts are so important. 
when they're confirming their views. But if it's facts about white supremacy, if it's data about white supremacy, we can't trust the data. Right. But if it's, you know, twisted facts about immigrant crimes, ooh, yes, we like data. And if it's race and IQ, we'll just ask the same question over and over again. But if it's like, yeah, white supremacy and law enforcement officers, no point in asking. I don't know why we'd ask that again. That's a closed (laughs) issue. You know? It's so telling. It's so telling. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, these people are exhausting. But thank you so much for being out there and fighting this nonsense. Thanks yourself. It's uh, it's so good to see someone with a larger platform like taking this shit on. And it's been such a pleasure to chat with you today. You too. You're the only other person who hates persuasion as much as I do. <laughs> you know, I important. only know it because of you. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know it before I started following you. But That's the thing I'm platforming them. It's the worst. <laughs> but I completely relate because when I see absurd shit from the IDW, oh I also like to tweet it out. Because And then I get these tweets about like, you know, why are you spreading their ideas? And you don't need to. But it's like, okay, I am such a small account. They already have the platforms. Yeah. Like, I could never assist them in that way but i feel like if this stuff isn't responded to or countered then it just sits there and people don't have anything else to see the other side like even as far as the ex-muslim movement goes like Mm -hmm. it's sort of been hijacked by this like whole quillette idw sphere not hijacked i shouldn't say hijacked because they haven't exactly taken over that's who these people have become yeah. There are, of course, the non-public figure ex-Muslims with, you know, progressive politics, but they don't want to identify with the movement. Mm-hmm. And so I hear from so many of them saying that they don't want to ID as ex-Muslim because of what the connotations of that are now. Mm. And But they're so happy to see that someone who still uses the label but has more progressive politics is out there. So I guess that's one reason why I just don't drop the label altogether, you know, so that people know I'm I'm here. Also, it's okay to have petty grudges and nurse those petty grudges online. I (laughs) I approve of this habit that you have of oh the IDW grudges, Sam Harris podcast. Oh hell yeah, wholeheartedly approve. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I wish I could say I'm above it, but I'm absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it's so petty though. Like he's petty. No, it's it's totally I'm I'm being facetious. It no, is not no, really petty what you're doing. And I think it's great that someone is like noticing this stuff. I honestly think there's a thing where if you say something on a podcast, you can like get away with it yes. in a way that you can't if it's in print. Exactly. Because it's it's harder to like take it as an excerpt out and sort of tweet out like a screenshot with like a highlighted mm-hmm. piece of text like this is what Sam Harris said today. It's much harder to do that with audio. Mm-hmm. And I think it's great that you're actually like bringing receipts of like, this is the shit that he's saying, and it's super reactionary and bad. And like, calling it out, canceling it, whatever you want to call it, like, I think this is actually a worthwhile project, like on the record, line by line, fisking of these miserable ideas. Thank you so much. Bring it. I love it. It's been lovely chatting with you. You too. We should do it again. Absolutely. I'll see you in 15 minutes. Let's start over again. (laughs) What are we going to talk about then? Wokeism? (laughs) It could be the same conversation too, eh? Oh, I mean, it's all, they all blur into each other. It's all, (laughs) it's just whatever weird new terminology they found. Remember when uh, Richard Dawkins wanted to call atheists brights? 
I think I miss that. I hear about it all the time. And I think oh Neil deGrasse Tyson also had a oh no had a thing where he wanted a a land rationalia rationalia. Oh no. <laughs> Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> These people it's are beyond so parody. It's so oh, bad. It's so sad. This is the problem is you can't satirize any of this stuff because it's no, already satire. Exactly. There was this article in like Hard Drive or something where it was like mm-hmm. heartwarming. Atheist and Christian now agree that white race is under attack. And I just love that. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> because that's literally what's happened. Yeah, that really is a shorter version of this entire show. No. You could have just said that. Yeah. all right well i'll see you out there in twitter land yeah thanks so much this is great thanks for listening to another episode of polite conversations you can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it making some noise about it or contributing via patreon patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes no ian mangoes also you can follow me on twitter at nice mangoes If you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal, nicemangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, no E in mangoes. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too. (laughs) ¶¶